Okay. We are in Revelation chapter 10 in this message looking at uh, the little book. And why is this titled The Little Book? We'll see that in just a few minutes. But uh, let's uh, set the context for everything. So when we left off, we are in Revelation chapter 9. The sixth seal had sounded, or the sixth trumpet, excuse me, had sounded. Uh, the seventh trumpet isn't going to sound until we get to partway into chapter 11. But when the sixth trumpet sounded, there were 200 million, an army of 200 million, remember that? And uh, I believe they were demonic, or they are demonic creatures from the Euphrates. And uh, those who don't have the seal of God are, are uh, attacked by these demonic uh, creatures. And also, although they are attacked by these demonic creatures, and it is a horrible attack that happens to them, they still will refuse to repent of their sins and give glory to God. They would rather face the judgment of God than submit themselves to God and ask for forgiveness. So that was chapter 9. After chapter 10, you come to chapter 11, 12, and 13, obviously. Uh, chapter 11 is the chapter where we have the two witnesses in Jerusalem. We know there's a temple. You have the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 12 is the chapter where the, you have the abomination of desolation happens and the Jews have the worst holocaust coming against them in the history of the world, worse than what happened in the days of Hitler. So the Jews that are able to escape go to a place that I believe is Petra. We'll see that when we get to chapter 12, which will be pretty soon. Chapter 13 is the chapter where you have the mark of the beast and the false prophet and the Antichrist. And, and so we'll get to all of those. And again... Uh, next, the next message will be of chapter 11 with the two witnesses. Are they uh, Moses and Elijah? Or is it uh, Enoch and Elijah as some think? Well, we're going to look at those things in chapter 11. And, and we're going to look at the temple. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say in detail about the coming temple. Because I'm telling you this right now. There is a temple that the Jews in Israel are ready to build. Man, they, they're, they're chomping at the bits. they got to build that temple. But tonight, we're not in chapter 11. Tonight, we're in chapter 10. We'll finish chapter 10 tonight. You guys ready? As we look at the little book, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, John's writing. He says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun and his feet like two like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Wow! What's going on here? Well, let's get a, a little bit more of the context. You're in chapter 10, and chapter 10 is like a parenthesis in the action, right? Uh, what's happened by this time is uh, we have six, uh, all, all seven of the seal judgments are done. Six of the trumpet judgments are done. There's a lot of death, a lot of destruction that has come upon the planet, and still people refuse to submit to the Lord. So, so you have all of these people rejecting God, but also by this time, you have a whole lot of people 
that understand, wait a minute, this is coming from God, and they do repent, and they have turned their life over to God. How do we know that? Because back in chapter 6, there was another parenthesis. After the fourth seal, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, uh, John writes in chapter 6 and says this, the, uh, and they, uh, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, chapter 6, verse 9, the altars of, those, uh, of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And then a white robe was, robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So what happens during the tribulation? We go on to read in chapter 7, and we find out that these who were martyred that we just read about in chapter 6, that these who were martyred were martyred during the tribulation period. Uh, some, you got to picture this during the tribulation period. There are people right now that you share your faith with, if, if we are really winding down history as we know it. And um, let's say Jesus comes back in three years, or we're raptured in three years, right? Let's say that's it. Well, let's say it happens tomorrow. That would be better. So we're raptured. There's people that you share your faith with that are like, eh, you, you're, you're nuts. I guess that's what they tell me. I don't know what they tell you. Um, and then you start telling them, hey, Jesus is coming again. And they think, you're really nuts. And then you're, you're telling them about Bible prophecy. You, you tell them you come to a Bible study on Bible prophecy on Sunday nights, and they look at you like you've lost your mind. And then you try to tell them about this thing called the rapture. And then they think, you are really out there, right? And then all of a sudden it happens. You're gone. And they start to remember that crazy, nutty Christian was right. And they're able to connect the dots. They're saying everything they told me, I see it happening exactly as they said. The things that we learn about here, as you share, there are people, Revelation chapter 6 just read it. Chapter 7 confirms it. There are people that turn to faith in Christ during the tribulation period. It'll be hard. They'll be hungry. They'll be homeless. Um, they'll be fugitives. And if they're caught, they'll be beheaded. Their suffering will be severe, but it will be short because they'll be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, but nevertheless, you look at it and you think, why should I share my faith with others? They might think you're nuts now, but that's okay because, again, Jesus is on the throne. Everything is going to unfold exactly as the Bible says it would. And not only that, but I believe that during the tribulation is going to be the greatest awakening that has ever happened in the history of the world. The spiritual awakening turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was on a radio interview this, last, this past week with Jan Markell out of Minnesota. I wasn't in Minnesota, I was here. I was on the phone. And uh, we got to talking about that and I just said, I am convinced it is during the tribulation. This awakening is going to happen because of what the Bible says. There will be those that are saved out of the tribulation. Chapter 7, verse 17 of Revelation goes on to say, of those saved out of the tribulation, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So with that as the entire context, I actually only have four questions tonight. Question and answer, you know how that works? I ask the questions, I give the answers, it works good for me. So first question is this, based on what we read. 
is who is this mighty angel? Because verse 1, John begins, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, a rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. So is this mighty angel Jesus? Um, there are some who say that because various times in the Old Testament you'll see this phrase, the angel of the Lord. And when you see it a few times in the Old Testament, it is what's commonly referred to as a Christophany or a theophany. It's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, but whenever you look at anything in the Bible, you have to base your interpretation upon two things. Text and context, right? So you've got to look at everything. This is what it was in the Old Testament. Therefore, we're able to determine it was Jesus. But when you come to a passage like this, you must interpret it the same way, based on text and based on context. So here, we're in the book of Revelation. A revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. We have this mighty angel that appears, and there are many scholars that believe this is Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you this ahead of time. I don't believe that this angel is Jesus. Uh, but, uh, and I'll show you why in a second. But there are many scholars that believe it is Jesus. And uh, here's a couple of reasons why. In verse 1, he's clothed with a cloud. Well, in Psalm 104, verse 3, the Bible says, He makes the clouds his chariot. That is speaking about the Lord himself. Verse 1 also says, A rainbow was on this mighty angel's head. Well, Revelation chapter 4, verse 3 says, There was a rainbow around the throne, being the throne of God. So some say, uh, these are similar to the descriptions of the Lord. Likewise, it is with his face like the sun in verse 1 and his feet like the pillars of fire. So those are some of the descriptions of the Lord in the Bible. And these are the descriptions of this mighty angel that is here. So is this the Lord Jesus Christ? I already told you ahead of time. I don't think it is. If you think it is, that's okay. I might think you're wrong. But that doesn't really matter. But, but, but I don't believe this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's something to keep in mind. In Revelation, angels are always angels. In Revelation, Jesus uses angels to execute judgment and purposes. In a Revelation chapter 10, where we just read, this angel is described as another angel. All right, so that's the key. Another angel... John says, verse 1, still I saw another angel. The word another comes from this Greek word alos, and it means a different angel, but of the same kind. So John has already seen a whole lot of angels by this time. So he's seen another angel. It's like the other angels, right? But it's a different angel. It's like uh, you have, you, you've met 10 men at church, and you say, well, I saw another man. He was like the other man, but he wasn't this... He was a different than them. He wasn't the same, as all of them are individuals. That's all John is saying. He's another, he's just like the other angels. He's, this isn't somebody totally different from these angels. Simple enough, isn't it? Okay, so with that in mind, who is this angel? This is what I believe. Like you, I said, I believe I'm right. Um, a possibility is uh, this angel is Gabriel. Um, in verse 1, this angel is referred to as a mighty angel. Gabriel means strength of God. It's also possibly Michael, since this angel is uh, described with Christ-like features. Michael means who is like God. Whoever this angel is, 
the attention isn't on the angels so much as it is on this little book in verse 2 and the events that follow. In verse 2, this angel had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. This takes us to question number two. This is fast, only four questions. Or, one of my answers is going to be really long. Second question. What did the voice of the seven thunders of verse 3 say? We don't know. God doesn't tell us everything. Since his understanding is infinite and our understanding is finite, it would be foolish to think that we could receive everything that God has for us and comprehend it. We are not God. We cannot fully comprehend God. That would make us equal with God. That doesn't make any sense. I am convinced the Bible tells us heaven and earth will pass away, but his word is forever. I am convinced that you and I will be learning his word forever and ever and ever. And we will never be able to exhaust it. Why is that? Because even in forever in heaven, if we were able to exhaust God's word, that would mean we'd be able to exhaust him and God would be limited. God is not limited. Even in heaven, forever and ever and ever, we will be learning and growing and we will be more and more in awe all the time. That is just, that's cool. Just, I mean, just the awe that, that, that we'll be experiencing is pretty unbelievable. Apparently, this is not a need-to-know situation for you and I. If it was a need-to-know situation about what the seven thunders said, God would tell us. But for whatever reasons, we don't need to know it. The interesting thing about God is sometimes he tells us things that we're kind of like, well, we don't really need to know that. You know, I can, I can figure out that part, all right? But uh, for whatever reason, God says, mm, this is none of your business. He apparently likes to keep us wondering. I also find this interesting. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, the Bible says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may obey the words of the law. So the secret things belong to him. When we get to heaven, we're going to know more and more and more. I'm convinced when we get to heaven, we will know exactly what these seven thunders said. We're going to know the words of this little book. Um, in fact, it may be during the tribulation period that those people who are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to know what the seventh thunder said. It may be revealed at that time. I am also convinced of this, that uh, words in the book of Revelation, a lot of them we can understand now in a generation uh, where the, we have a greater understanding in our generation than any generation ever before. It makes sense, right? But there's still things that we can leave us scratching our heads. But, They'll be revealed more and more and more to the people living during that time, I believe, through the people coming to Christ. I think of the 144,000 Jews from Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. I think they're going to get a whole lot of this, if not all of it. And they're going to have all the, they're going to have the aha moment. Because notice we're told here that John is told, uh, verse 4, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, don't write them down. 
So they're sealed somewhere. Not written down, but, but for whatever reason, um, they're sealed for now. So speculation has been going on for over 1,900 years as to what the seventh thunder said. Uh, we don't know. Um, we can't even guess why he doesn't want us to know. But he doesn't want us to know. Nevertheless, here's what we can know. This angel set his right foot on the sea, left on the land, verse 2. This pictures God's sovereignty over the entire planet, the sea and the land. This angel's voice is like a, a lion roaring uh, in the jungle, and it caused the seven thunders to thunder. It's like you got one, and all of a sudden all seven. It's loud, it's powerful. You hear a coyote, one starts, it's just annoying, and all of a sudden the rest of them jump in. Or there's a, uh, you hear a siren, right? Going down the street. What happens? Like all the dogs in the neighborhood got to start chiming in, don't they? I used to have this German shepherd. It had the craziest howl. It was like somewhat embarrassing, but it would happen. He was such a big dog, too. It was so weird. He was so big, and he sounded like a dork when the siren would go by. I don't know. He just did. It's like, man, you don't look like that sound. But In Hosea chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible describes God in his anger like a tearing lion. So we have this lion roaring and the seven thunders. In Isaiah 31, verse 4, the Bible describes God in the last days protecting Israel, his children, as a lion that roars in the Lord of hosts who will come down to fight for Zion and for its hill. The prophecy in Revelation chapter 10 about the lion's roar and the seven thunders emphasizes the importance of God's message and his power and majesty and the terrible judgment that is to come. But it's so strange, because God says, John, don't write this down. Um, the whole book of Revelation, just the meaning is to unveil and to reveal, and God says, don't reveal this. So, what, so what's in it? Listen, we can't know for certain, but we can uh, make a hypothesis. You know what a hypothesis is? It's the only word I remember from English grammar when I was in eighth grade. That's what it is. It's an educated guess, right? So we can make an educated guess as to what is in this little book and what the seven thunders said. My guess is that it has to do with the severity of the judgment to come and the terrible suffering that will happen to those who come to, to know Christ during the tribulation and to the Jews. Why do I suggest that? Because John is going to be told in just a few minutes to eat this little book. It's going to be really sweet to him. And then it's going to turn bitter in his stomach. But before we get there, uh, let's set the picture for what comes next in um, this chapter. We think of uh, the mighty angel. And as we look at the next section of the chapter 10 of the book of Revelation, try to picture this mighty angel standing on the land and sea making an amazing declaration. How Lindsay wrote, as I study this passage, I stand in awe of this profound and dramatic sight. Uh, there's little in either sacred or secular literature to compare with this majestic account. This is just, it just exudes this power when you picture this angel with a foot on the land and a foot in the sea, and just, or on the sea, just standing there. It's just, just amazing. 
So let's read on a little bit more. It's a short chapter, but verse 5 through 7. The angel, John writes, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, that would be the seventh trumpet judgment, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. All right. There's two more questions. You ready? Number three. What is the mystery that is about to complete it, be completed that verses uh, 5 through 7 uh, speak about? Well, it's the mystery of God in the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here, just two things. Number one is this. Uh, regarding the mystery of Christ's return, what's the mystery? The mystery of Christ's return. A few things are in these verses that remind us that the Lord Jesus Christ will fulfill all of his purposes regarding his second coming. This is what we can know uh, about the second coming of Christ in the tribulation. The promise of Christ's return is based upon God's majestic character. In verse 5, the angel raises his hand to swear by heaven. Again, this is a, a, another, gives us more insight to why this angel isn't the Lord himself. It's an angel swearing to heaven. And in verse 6, this angel is swearing, look at this, to him who lives forever and ever, to him who is creator of heaven, to him is, who is creator of all things, to him who is creator of earth and all that is in it, to him who is the creator of the sea and all that is in it. So the promise of Christ's return is based upon God's majestic character. It's also based upon God's timing. Notice verse 6 says that there will be delay no longer. Of the time of Christ's first coming, Galatians chapter 4 tells us this. So again, verse 6 says there will be delay no longer. But of his first coming, Galatians chapter 4 says, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son. And regarding the second coming of Christ, the Bible teaches that the time of the Gentiles will come to an end. There will be a time, Romans chapter 11 teaches, that when the last of the Gentiles is going to be saved prior to the tribulation period starting, right? Romans chapter 11 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. It is a mystery. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Um, I, I look at this passage, and I have many people that I've talked to over the years that have said that God is done with Israel. Paul's answer to that question is in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Paul actually says, is God done with his, Israel? Is God done with his people? Absolutely not. And then God, uh, Paul goes on to describe it, Romans chapter 9, 10, gets to this in chapter 11. He says, there's a time coming when there will be delay no longer, 
the time of the Gentiles is done, is complete. There will be Gentiles saved during the tribulation, just like there's Jews saved right now, right? Blindness in part has happened to Israel. Some Jews are getting saved. But during the tribulation period, God is turning his attention again to Israel. Listen, the tribulation is also known as the 70th week of Daniel. It's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the time Revelation is describing Israel's redemption and what the world is going to go through and even what Israel is going to go through as God is redeeming his people for himself in the last days. But, but I think of this, in 1948, uh, the state of Israel is born. You could even say the state of Israel is born again. That is a sign that everything is winding down. In 2018, it is a 70-year celebration of 1948 from when Israel was recognized by the UN, and yes, Truman, uh, as being a nation, again, as the Jews were beginning to come back to the land of Israel. God said it would happen. 70 years. May of 2018, that's just an incredible thing. Here's the deal. History, human history operates according to God's divine plan, not our divine plan for God. Jesus will not return a minute too early. Jesus will not return a minute too late. Psalm 135, verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth. If you think he is too late, then you're mistaken. Sometimes I'm mistaken. Why not now, Lord, right? God doesn't operate by Tom's clock. He operates by his clock, right? At the same time, if you're hoping that he won't be coming soon, that's a sign you need to check and say, okay, what's the matter? Am I too in love with the world? Am I too engaged with this sin? I mean, sometimes, you know, I, I, I get it. I remember when I was over at Singles Ministry, and I would have people tell me, Pastor Tom, I really want Jesus to return, but not until I get married and have a honeymoon. And then he can return. I used to hear that. I, listen, I, 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 I got that thinking, you know. Uh, young parents think, well, just let us have one child. Oh, then two. And then three. Well, hurry back, Lord. You gave me three. I can't wait anymore. You know, it's like. Um, but seriously, if you're not excited about the Lord's return, I look at a, a group like this, and I think of people that watch online you're probably excited about Jesus coming again. I mean, I am. I'm thinking, you know what, the, the only thing that saddens me is people that I know that are not yet saved. And, um, you know, the, we, we have the message of forgiveness. Um, but here, uh, we are told that, that uh, the days of the sounding of the seventh angel when he's about to sound the mystery of God would be finished, right? The seventh trumpet's going to sound, and then we meet the, uh, we're going to meet the two prophets, or, or yeah, the two witnesses in Jerusalem, the temple, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and, and then you get into, um, after the seventh, seventh trumpet sounds, the, the uh, seven bowl judgments come upon the earth, and it is just absolute devastation. So that's what's going on there. God says, you know what? Enough is enough. We are finished. So, um, one, regarding the question, it's the mystery of Christ's return. Uh, number two, it's the mystery. What is the mystery? It's the mystery of completion. It's the mystery of completion. I'm going to get into some 
areas here in just a few minutes. I'm hoping that I'll really be able to connect dots for everybody that is here to be able to understand why the book of Revelation will be fulfilled. Uh, so think of this. The mystery of God's completion involves the establishment of God's kingdom on earth with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning overall. That's the millennial kingdom. This is what's going to happen. At the end of the tribulation period, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. It's going to kick off the millennial kingdom. Hemet is going to be like paradise. It's going to be awesome. It also, this mystery of God's completion, it includes how all this is going to take place. So here's an easy way to keep all of this together, all right? The prophets of old told us that it will come. Revelation tells us how it is going to come. Um, verse 7. The days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. The prophets said it will come. Revelation tells us how it's all going to unfold. Again, the revealing, the unveiling, the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately fulfilling his kingdom. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you somewhere for a few minutes. Bear with me. I think you will appreciate this. The prophets of old told us. Chapter 7 says, Book of Revelation is about the redeeming of the people of Israel and God coming back at the end, the Lord ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Just mention that, right? What do the prophets of old tell us? Uh, that Israel would become a nation again. That the Jews would be gathered from the four corners of the earth. Right? Okay, I'm going to walk you through this. In Isaiah chapter 66, the Bible says this in verse 8. Prophecy. The prophets of old, right? Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Uh, May 14, 1948, in one day, Zion's in labor, boom, it happened, right? I'm, I'm convinced that Isaiah 66, verse 8, was a prophecy regarding that date that happened. Would a nation be born in a day? Here's the deal. I'm going to give you some history. I'll make this as quick and painless as possible in engaging and learning. In Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, God begins in chapter 12 and he promises, Ab Abram, here's my covenant with you. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless you, Abram. Abram. Those who bless you, Abram, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse, right? So he promises the covenant. You read on through, you find out, chapter 13, chapter 14, through 19. God says, okay, here's the deal. Abram, this covenant, I'm giving you the land, is for your descendants. Forever. Abram, it's an everlasting covenant. You have the right to the land. It is all yours. In fact, as you read it on through, you even follow the Abraham covenant all the way through the Davidic covenant with the promise of the Messiah coming from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
on through the lineage, right on through David, up to the time when the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, was born. There's a covenant. And then God said this in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, here's the deal. He's to his people, the Jews. After the covenant's been made, the promise has been made, I've given you this land that includes Jerusalem. I'm giving you this land. He said, here's the deal. You have the Ten Commandments. If you do what I tell you to do, if you obey, I will bless you. And then he said this, if you do not obey my word, you will be cursed. And this is what I will do if you do not obey my word. I will disperse you to the four corners of the earth. And every single place I send you, check it out, book of Deuteronomy, you will become a byword. Anti-Semitism. You think of the history of the Jews, right? They were disobedient. You have the whole Assyrian invasion and then the Babylonians and then the Romans finally uh, pretty much dispersed them in the final dispersion, 70 A.D., uh, when the temple was destroyed, and then 135 A.D. with Hadrian, when the, the final dispersion, as the Jews were sent to the four corners of the earth, they have become a byword everywhere they went. Do you wonder why everywhere the Jews go, they've become a byword? It's anti-Semitism. God said this is what will happen. But then he also said, I will gather you back into the land. It's my land. This land is my land. This is land is your land. Jerusalem is my capital. Jerusalem is your capital. In the last days, I will gather you back a second time, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8. A nation, you will be born in a day as soon as Zion gives labor. I will gather you back in the last days. This will come to pass because I have promised I would do it. Although you've been dispersed, I still have an unconditional covenant with you. I've made a promise with you that I'm giving you and your descendants, Abraham, this land. Now, this is even more interesting. In Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to read this to you. Are you guys still here with me? Okay, Matthew chapter 23. Just curious, because I see some people like this. <laughs> Matthew chapter 23. You know, I can see everybody's face. You know that, don't you? Some people will think, did you see my face? Oh, yeah, I can see exactly what you're doing. I can see when you're on your phone. I can see everything. This is Jesus, just before he predicts the destruction of the temple, and just before he's going to be led to be crucified. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Matthew 23, verse 37, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. The temple would be destroyed. You would be dispersed to the four corners of the earth. Your house has left you desolate. And then he says this, most interesting. For verse uh, 39 of chapter 23 of Matthew. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. People say God is done with the Jews. Jesus says, I'm coming again. And when I come again, you will say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible tells us that they will look upon him whom they pierced. 
and they will mourn for him. They'll recognize they've rejected him. They're going to recognize him as their Messiah. I, I find it fascinating. And I also want to encourage you with this, all right? And here's why I brought this up. Because verse 7 says, talks about the prophets of old. The prophets of old told us it's going down. The book of Revelation tells us how it's all going to go down. It's the redemption of the people of Israel. I'm reading all the time more and more and more of uh, seminaries that teach God is done with the Jews. He's done with Israel. There's no such thing as the rapture. Um, and I read of persecution against the Jews coming from churches and uh, on down the list. But the Bible tells us this is the way it's all going to happen. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We have his prophetic word. Everything is happening exactly as God says it is going to happen. Does that make sense? Okay, I think we better hurry up and get to the end because I've got to wake you all back up. With this, let's move on. We're almost done. Um, how can we know that it's going to come to pass? Because based upon God's character, God will not allow Satan to rule. God will establish his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords as ruler. Um, see this, the second one up there? God will not allow Satan to rule. Satan in the Bible is the prince and power of the air. That's what the Bible tells us. He's the God of this world, is how Jesus said it. Um, Jesus is coming back. Jesus isn't going to let that go. Listen, we have uh, people being killed, kids being killed in high schools. We have slaughter of people that are happening throughout much of the world, especially when you look at some of the radical Islamic things that are going on. You look at, there's people that are being raped. There's, there's children that are being abducted. There's pedophilia and all these things. Do you really think that Jesus is going to let these things continue? People say, we don't want God around. Well, the problem that we have is because we've kicked God out of, out of everything. We don't want the Ten Commandments. We don't want Jesus ruling. Uh, they're saying, don't bring the Bible uh, uh, in, into the court. Don't bring the Bible into the conversation. Man's going to solve all the problems. No, this is what's going to happen. Man's going to worship a man known as the Antichrist. And all of these things are going to unfold like that. Uh, unlike that, like that. But this is all going to happen because it's based upon God's character. God's not going to allow Satan to rule. Jesus is coming again, and he is the one who is going to rule. Let's finish this up with the fourth question. What is, John, what is up with John eating this book? Last question. We'll get through this one quick. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and I said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat the little book. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey to your mouth. And then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey to my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Verse 11, and he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Why? He has this book, it's sweet, and then it's bitter, and then he says, now go prophecy. What's going on here? This is really short and to the point. It's very similar to what happened in the book of Ezekiel. Look at this. Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel writes, now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, 
And then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside of the scroll and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. It was destruction, right? When the seventh trumpet sounds, it'll be destruction. Moreover, the Lord said to me, Son of man, this is to Ezekiel, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to eat paper just because the teacher said, don't eat it. So I did. I used to eat glue, too. Anybody else in here eat that glue? And, yeah, see, so there's most of you. Yeah. It was sweet to the taste. <laughs> and he said to me, the Lord said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey uh, in sweetness. Um, the word of God assimilates. So John eats the book. Ezekiel eats that scroll. John eats the book. It's a picture of assimilating the word of God. The word of God is sweet. But when you find out a message like, like what is coming, there, there's a bitterness that's involved. John, when you eat this book, it's going to come bitter in your stomach. Um, when I eat donuts, I call them gut bombs. I don't know if any of you have that experience. I can't eat much of anything sweet. I just do not good, do good. It's like I eat, it tastes all good to my mouth. And then it's like a bomb goes off. So that's just enough of that. It doesn't feel good. That was kind of disgusting. I can't believe I said that part. Um, but here, the longer, I say a lot of things I probably should never say. The longer we assimilate the message of all that is going on in the second coming of Christ, we realize how bitter it really is for those who are left behind. Um, the revelation of the message of Jesus Christ is a message of hope, but it also brings a sense of grief and sadness. It's sweet and it's bitter. Uh, some years ago I had this dream that I was caught up in the rapture. And, uh, you know, I... I I still dream, now I just daydream about it, but I, I, I had this dream, I was caught up in the rapture, and I remember looking down and seeing a lot of faces of people I knew, and when I saw them, it was this grief and sadness when I woke up, because I know how things are going to unfold. This is what John is getting at. You have the sweetness, you have the bitter, because then the angel tells them at the end, you must prophesy again about many peoples, tongues, and kings. Because John, they need to know that this is coming. Here's the thing. People need to be saved. Um, it's, the message of the Bible is not, as much as it flies in the face of popular culture, it's not about your best life now. It's about your best life later. It's about storing your treasure in heaven. It's about living for the kingdom that's coming and sharing the true message of hope with anybody who needs to hear the message of hope. It's sweet like honey to those who are his. It's bitter to those who refuse it. Um, last week we gave these away on Sunday morning. We have some available tonight for you. All right? You see, it's called Ticket to Heaven. And I'm sharing these with you. The numbers on the side... Uh, if you were to pull out your phone, you'd find out that those numbers spell heaven. 
and uh, as ticketed. And on the back, all it is is the sinner's prayer with a couple of scripture uh, um, references to turn to. And if a person actually prays this and they really do repent, as the as it says here to repent, if they're genuine, do you know they're going to be forgiven? The reason I wanted these here tonight is because ultimately this is the message of chapter 10. It's sweet, Jesus is coming, but it's bitter. We have a message of hope that people could be forgiven. And until the time of the Gentiles is full, we don't know when that is, but we have the message of salvation to give to people. Amen?